Well, as you know, the, the headlines have been quite grim recently, as everyone knows. But recently, there was one inspiring story, one bright beam in an otherwise gray landscape. The week before last, explorers aboard this research ship in an expedition called Endurance 2 actually located Ernest Shackleton's lost ship. Did you hear that? So cool. And as you know, Shackleton uh, was a great hero of his day and continues uh, to inspire people right up to the present. And just to remind you of his story for a moment, on an expedition to Antarctica, Shackleton's beloved ship, the Endurance, got strangled in ice and sank, leaving Shackleton and his crew 1,200 miles from any kind of help, but by keeping his cool, not hard considering the conditions, and through, sorry, and uh, through exquisite leadership, the more important factor, he managed to get all 28 members of his crew back to safety and preserving those lives was such an inspiring feat. Well, if not quite up to that level, finding Shackleton's lost ship was also an astonishing feat. It required, get this, venturing into the wild Weddell Sea, one of the stormiest places on the planet, cutting through ice one meter thick, and then deploying underwater drones to scan 150 square miles of seafloor 10,000 feet below, and they pulled it off. Absolutely amazing, wildly complex and difficult mission. And in fact, the same group led by maritime archaeologist John Shears. Wouldn't you like to have that on your business card? Maritime archaeologist. Anyway, same group tried and failed three years before, but this time... They did it. They succeeded and they beamed pictures from the ship around the world when the world needed a lift. This one especially delighted people. If you look closely, you'll see somebody at the bow of the ship and the headline of the story that went with this picture was, the new captain of the endurance wreck is an anemone. And there he is right there. Now, I love anything to do with Ernest Shackleton. I love anything to do with exploration more broadly. But what particularly pinged my brain when I read this story was a quote by Shears, again, the expedition commander, because it underscores the big idea of this Lenten series that we're in that we began two weeks ago called Strange Grace from 2 Timothy chapter 2. And in his release statement, Shears said this, we have made polar history with the discovery of the endurance, and then get this, successfully completed the world's most challenging shipwreck search. Now, John Shears has a lot of achievements. In fact, I learned this week that he's already been awarded the Polar Medal from the Queen for outstanding achievements in polar research. But I think it's safe to say that this will prove to be his crowning achievement. And that will, of course, partly be because it was so difficult, because it required so much endurance to pull off. And if locating Shackleton's lost ship had been easy, requiring only meager effort, then, of course, the emotional payoff would have been similarly meager. 
But because it was so difficult, pulling people together from all sorts of different uh, avenues in the most arduous conditions, finding the endurance will certainly become the crown jewel of his life. And for me, that's nautical confirmation of the big idea of the Strange Grace series. Our lives are not made up of the mountains we dodge. They are made up of the mountains we dash up. And our lives are not made up by the giants we shy away from, but from the giants we slay. Not the shallow water that we splash around in, but the deep water. We dive into looking for historic ships. And that's why God's call on every one of us his beloved children to exhibit soldierly faith, to go to the call wall for what he's called us to do is the grace that it is. Strange grace, to be sure, but grace nonetheless. And in putting his arm around us like he does and entrusting us with royal responsibility in the world that he has been remaking since the very first Easter and then calling us to stick to it with joyful grit, all the while giving us the power of his own person to do it. You know what he's doing? He is giving us an exquisite gift. He's giving us, he's positioning us for our best lives. That's what strange grace is. This morning, we steam ahead in our series. And I said that 2 Timothy chapter 2 is full of shoulder-shaking challenges. This morning's passage is no exception. But again, underneath it is an ocean of opportunity. Let's read it. In fact, let's have Tom Gillis read it. And while Tom's coming up here, Tom, I want to personally thank you for speaking at Riptide, our junior high group, last Thursday. Andrew was really struck by your talk, and he talked to me about it that night. So thanks for loving our middle school kids. you appreciate it, Tom? Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. You had me at Mountain. I was, I was like, that was it. So 2 Timothy 2.14 goes something like this. Uh, remind, the, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which do no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightfully handling the word of truth. But avoid irrelevant babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene among them. Hymenus and Philidus, who have swerved. I practice those words all the time, but in my head, I could just kept saying Jaime and Phil instead of doing it. Just <laughs> FYI, just to get real. Like, anyways, uh, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection had already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. But let me just read this verse. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Thank you. 
There are a lot of ways to break down this passage, but I think the simplest one is to read it as an answer to this question. What does soldierly faith invite? Meaning over and above going to the wall for the calls that God has placed on our lives. What does soldierly faith ask of us? And I think our passage gives us four answers. Here's the first one. First, soldierly faith invites the avoidance of small fish fights. Listen to verse 14 again. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. When Paul wants to underscore a point, he often uses this charge language. And by using it here, he is signaling to Timothy that he's telling him and he's telling us today that this bit of instruction is not something to run by. It is really important. He's saying as the people of God who are eager to exhibit soldierly faith and to enjoy the strange grace that comes with it, we need to ditch petty disputes. And in the last phrase of the verse, he gives the reason, listen to this, quarreling over words or titanic fights over ultimately trivial matters ruins the people involved. Now, it's hard to know what trivial matters the believers in Timothy's community were squabbling over. You know, was it, we wonder, theological hair splitting? Uh, Was it over who would control some aspect of community life? We don't really know the particulars, but we don't have to because we recognize the problem, don't we? Well, how do we avoid ruinous rows in our homes, in our workplaces, in our church, when we are working together shoulder to shoulder to bear light in the world? To start with, we can employ the wisdom of of Proverbs. Listen to Proverbs 15.1, one of the most powerful, life-saving, and easy-to-apply passages in the entire book. It goes this way, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Many of our silly but destructive conflicts can be skirted simply by doing this. Responding to a harsh word with a gentle one. Jesus the King, the King who is also our teacher for everyday life, absolutely exemplified this. One of my favorite stories, Luke 10. Luke visits the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. These are some people who will become some of his very best friends. And once he gets going, Mary is so captivated by Jesus that she just chucks her apron and she plants herself at Jesus' feet simply to soak in his goodness and his wisdom. Well, this hacks off Mary's sister, Martha, who feels like she's got to pick up the slack on the serving and she's mad about it. She's mad at her sister, and what's interesting, she seems to be mad at Jesus, and as a result, she goes full rage monster like Ty on the comedy team Dude Perfect. And Luke describes it this way, and Martha went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And Jesus' response is the perfect picture. 
of Proverbs 15.1, which makes sense considering that in our last series, Dreamhouse, we learned that he is wisdom personified. Listen to him. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. There is a world of tenderness in Jesus repeating her name. How could her fury not have been diffused by that gentleness? And here's what it means for us. If we want to be effective in our calls, if we want to claim the strange grace of soldierly faith, you know what we'll do here at Hillside? In every arena of our lives, we will avoid small potato skirmishes (laughs) at all costs in our homes, at work, here at Hillside, at Little League, if we're a coach. We'll overlook slights and we will diffuse hostility with gentle earnest words. What's the second invitation? Soldierly faith. Look at the first half of verse 15. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Well, what does this mean? This is very interesting. The word here for approved in the Greek is dakamos. And it has a very interesting nuance, which some of your Bibles will note in the margin below. You might want to look for it. And here's that special meaning of dakamos, approved after being tested. And that's why some versions translate this verse this way, or is tried and true. Listen to it. Make an effort to present yourself to God as a tried and true worker. Well, what does that really mean? Let me suggest this to you. Soldierly faith means after the bomb blast of some kind of test, Returning to King Jesus, the commander who first enlisted us in his service and saying these words, I'm still here. What would you have me do next? And therefore, we could put this second point this way. Soldierly faith invites the refusal to take the count. And I think you know what I mean by this. The count to 10 that a boxing ref gives to a woozy contender after he has been dropped and he hits the canvas. Refusing to take the count means after taking the punch of disappointment, maybe church leaders made a decision in the past that you greatly disagreed with, still bothers you. Or after taking the punch of diminishment, somebody at church or beyond said this to you, in one way or another, you know that thing you thought you were really good at? (laughs) You're actually not that good at it. It means after taking those shots, Dakamas means getting up, Rocky Balboa style, and continuing the bout. It's presenting ourselves again to God's service, even if we can barely see out of our swollen eyes. That's what dakamas means. That's what approved means here in verse 15. You see, God wants us after that huge haymaker that we never saw coming, whether it's cancer or a layoff or something that doesn't go our way in the church to stand up. And even if we're still punchy and seeing stars, we say to him, Lord, 
I'm still here. What would you have me do next? And you know what? God has given us the capacity to do that. That capacity is in the Son who lived and died for us and who now lives inside us. And speaking of the haymaker of humiliation, you know, Jesus experienced that blow. We don't talk about this that much other than during Holy Week when we talk about his passion. But the truth is, throughout Jesus the King's life, he was reviled, he was ridiculed, he was put down. Consider, he got run out of town after giving his very first sermon. You know, my sermon, first one, didn't really go that well, okay? But nobody ran me out of town, all right? After cleansing a demoniac in the region of the Gerasenes, Jesus was rudely asked to beat it, to head out of town. In the Gospel of John, he was taunted for being illegitimate, and the list goes on and on. Jesus the King, Jesus Christ, the finest human who ever lived, endured regular insult and indignity, and yet he never gave up. He never let one of those jabs Keep him from his job, a job that he went to the wall for. And that means that we too, who have been fused to him by belief and baptism, we can too. And Jesus could do this because he knew who he was. He was the eternally begotten and eternally beloved son of God. And similarly, we can show soldierly faith in times when we are treated with contempt because we know who we are the fully accepted, fully adored children of the one true God. And you know, I've actually had occasion to say this several times over my years as a pastor, in with somebody, talking to somebody who's gotten beat up in ministry. And I've said this, I want to get this straight. You're telling me you've been shamed for doing what God has called you to do. You're saying that on top of the injury of hard work, you poured yourself into that, on top of that injury, you've suffered insult. Congratulations. And I mean it. Congratulations, because you know what you are experiencing right now? You are sharing in the dishonor of Jesus himself. And paradoxically, there is no greater honor than sharing in the dishonor of Jesus himself, the most honorable man who ever lived. 1 Peter 4.14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Soldierly faith means refusing to take the count. What else does it mean? Look at verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That last phrase is very, very interesting. Last phrase is one word in the original language, and it means to make straight. And the imagery associated with it is that of cutting a path through a forest so that a traveler can reach her destination efficiently. So for Timothy to rightly handle the word of truth, or more literally, to make straight the word of truth, means teaching about Jesus in such a way 
that his listeners can walk a straight path of understanding. Well, teaching was Timothy's calling, but it's not everyone's. So we might want to ask, what could making straight mean more broadly? I want to suggest this to you. Making straight here means doing anything in the church, no matter how basic, no matter how celebrated or uncelebrated, that makes people's path to Jesus a little more direct. And so here's the third invitation of soldierly faith. It's devotion to ministries of path straightening. And let's circle back for a moment to the beginning of the service. You know, a ministry of path straightening is precisely what this team has been up to. And I want to explain, just like the rest of us, they are bought into our mission to be light in the world. And they understand that to accomplish that mission, it means this. Necessarily, it means shaping more and more people into light bearers, people who burn to share the goodness of Jesus in the world. And in order for Hillside to accomplish that mission, to make it real and not just a wonderful slogan, what do we need to do, practically speaking? We need to entice people into our church, into our family, so that they can meet Jesus, so they can be enveloped in his love, and over time, they can be changed to look and act more like him. Again, the finest human being who ever lived. Well, those team members looked at our trusty logo, and then they asked themselves this question. I wonder, I wonder if an updated logo would even in a small way straighten the path for people to come into our church and discover Jesus. And then that question led to another question. I wonder if just creating more beautiful places to sit and connect for more people to make friends in our church and to discover Jesus, maybe, maybe that would straighten the path. You see, this whole branding and beautification project, of which this morning is just phase one, is a perfect example of soldierly faith and path straightening in particular. Well, that might lead the rest of us to ask, what can we do to help straighten the path, to help people into our church and discover Jesus? Or maybe we could put it this way. How can we live the spirit of Shackleton and help spiritually marooned people find the safe harbor of Jesus. You know what I'll say? So many of us are already doing it. (laughs) Bravo. Listen to this. Some hillsiders are straightening the path by pulling weeds around the church campus. Do you know that? We have weed pullers. Two of our most distinguished leaders here. They come at these weird times so nobody sees them. I still tend to see them. (laughs) pulling weeds to beautify the place. Others are straightening the path by making the sound mix really solid so that people watching from home have a nice blend. That's Patrick right there in the back who does that. Others are straightening the path by giving a warm greeting to people when they walk in the door so they'll feel valued and noticed so they might be a little more likely to stay. Others are straightening the path by hosting and providing dinner for our new relaunched young adults group that just met this past Wednesday night, Thursday night, led by Jariah Wagner and Tony Collins. A new Hillside team is working to straighten the path into Hillside's many groups. More on that team soon. Some Hillsiders 
who can't come to church are straightening the path by continuing to pray and continuing to give to Hillside. And if that's you and you're watching right now, I want to say to you, thank you for your path-straightening ministry uh, in remote form. Thank you. Soldierly faith invites devotion to the ministry of path-straightening. Let me give you one more invitation, and it's this, and I think it's my favorite. Deep breath confidence that Jesus, that the Jesus Foundation will never falter. Listen to verse 19. It says, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And in these verses, Paul does something really surprising, not obvious with just a cursory read. After calling on Timothy to be on guard against all kinds of resurrection-denying or resurrection-obscuring spiritualities, of which there are a million still floating around, after he does that, he references the crazy story of Korah's rebellion in Numbers 16. That's where those two quotes come. And that story very simply goes this way. A group of rebel rousers, we could understand them as early Israelite uh, equivalents of Hymenaeus and Philetus in our passage. They go to Moses and they just object to God's plan for worship. You see, God has set up a, a gracious mechanism for his people to experience his holy presence. And that system involves the priests handling the sacrifices and the Levites handling various auxiliary tasks. Well, Korah and his friends don't like it. They don't like it at all. They're Levites and they don't approve of what they see as their support role in God's plan. So they revolt. And in reality, this is a small fish fight because they're Levites. They have a really impressive and important role, but it's not enough. Fast forward to the climax, the ground opens up below them, and in judgment, they disappear into the abyss. And the story makes a simple point, and it's this. People who are just hell-bent against God's good plans for his people, for his world, and particularly for the poor and the weak and the oppressed of this world, those people, they just have no future. And so what's Paul's point in, in referencing it here in 2 Timothy? It's actually wildly encouraging. He's saying in his son's life, death, and resurrection, God has founded a kingdom, one of love and peace and abundance beyond anything we could imagine, one that has been growing and growing ever since the first Easter, and it can't be foiled. It can't be. The mischiefs of the various Korahs in the world notwithstanding. And so we who belong to him, we who understand ourselves to be his beloved and adored children, his beloved servants, his co-workers, we can be so calm. We can take deep breath confidence, as verse 19 says, that God's Firm foundation, never going to falter. And we can carry through 
with what God has called us to do, absolutely certain our effort is not wasted, our work is not futile, our hope is not in vain. Four invitations of soldierly faith. I don't want you to remember them all. I want you to just remember one. One that you can carry around in your pocket this week. So let's close our eyes and let's land with another short prayer practice that's been our our Lenten series tradition. Let's close your eyes. Review these four invitations. And as I do, here's what I would like for you to do. I want you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit who is inside you, if you know Jesus, and among us all. And as I read these, I want you to be attentive to God's Spirit. What what might he be saying to you? And is there one of these things where he's saying, that's the one, dear child. That's the one I want you to zero in this week. That's the one I want you to pocket. All right? First invitation, the avoidance of fights over small fish stuff. And let's ask ourselves, can we be contentious, surly, just short with others? I know I can be. And might the Spirit be inviting us to make Jesus' peaceable way, his gentle word way in response to harshness, Maybe the Spirit is saying, that's what I want you to make your way. The second is the refusal to take the count. Instead of hanging up our ministry gloves after that devastating right hook of disappointment, or that crushing left cross of diminishment. We stand up and we say to our divine trainer, I'm still here at your service, ready for the next round. Is that what God's spirit is saying? Third, Devotion to ministries that straighten the path for new people. Just help them find a home here. Is that the Spirit's invitation? And then fourth and finally, deep breath confidence. That the King Jesus Foundation will never falter. Could that be the Spirit's invitation to you? Cultivating confidence that he has everything under control in our homes, our church, our world. 
this is the soldierly faith invitation I know God's Spirit wants me to focus on because I can get so stirred up about the challenge of being the church right now. There's never a reason to be stirred up. I need to remember God's building with Jesus as the cornerstone is never going to buckle. New creation is coming. Nothing can stop it. The Lord knows who are his. Dear Father, what a a deep thrill to know that the firm foundation of your son's kingdom stands. And it means that we today can give you our full selves in love, relationship, soldierly service, this Lenten season and beyond. And Father, right now, as your children, as your agents, as your ambassadors, ready for a new week of service, we thank you for everything that will happen in the week ahead. The joyful events, as well as those that we won't perceive as joyful in the moment, but which we now understand will be golden opportunities for Dakamas, showing ourselves because of the power you provide to be your tried and true workers as well as your beloved sons and daughters named to the greatest of all inheritances. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.